Welcome to Crazy Enough to Win. I'm your host, John Grubbs. Welcome to the show. Now, every now and then we're going to be checking in with COVID-19 because I don't think it's possible to have a podcast in the middle of a pandemic and totally ignore it. So we're going to talk about some things today that might be just a little bit controversial and some people might think political, but I'm not coming at you with a political ideology here. I am coming at you with, well, a personal view about the data that I see and what I see around the world. I mean, I'm not just studying this virus from the portal of how it affects the United States, because I think that would be that would be troubling in an election year, because I do believe whether you agree or not that this virus is political fodder. It is being used by politicians to advance a narrative or to hurt an opponent. And this topic specifically is very controversial. But we're going to talk about herd immunity. And oh my goodness, you can't even say herd immunity without some people getting all lathered up, all frustrated or all excited about the idea of herd immunity. Some people call it population immunity. Now, let me tell you where I stand. I believe we're going to discover at some point in the future that this virus had penetrated the United States population months before March of 2020. I believe this virus had been circulating through our communities, impacting people, some very little, some significantly. But when they tested negative for the flu, people did not know what to classify it as. So it wasn't tracked. It wasn't traced. It wasn't anything. It just people were sick. Maybe they called it pneumonia. Maybe they called it, I don't know, some sort of strange bug. And it had to be that way because for most people, the symptoms are so negligible. A runny nose, a headache, dizziness. Well, heck, I don't think many people have never experienced those things before. So unless it was bad enough to really take someone out of their routine, I think people just had it and got over it or they got worse. So I do think there is an inevitability to herd immunity. In other words, the, the horse is out of the barn. I mean, the virus is out there. And you cannot, in my opinion, hide from the virus. Now, we can take precautions. We can be careful. We can do all the things, especially to protect those in our population who are vulnerable. But for the rest of us, we're going to have to live with this. And I, regardless of what anyone says, until there is a vaccine, herd immunity will become reality. And let me give you some information from outside the United States perspective. Uh, Iceland. Iceland. Funny how you can study things on an island that uh, seems to be a little bit different from mainland. But Iceland has some very good news about coronavirus immunity. And it seems like 91% of Icelanders who recovered from COVID produced detectable antibodies. Now, guess what? That should dispel some of the gloom around reinfections. And 
I know, I know. Some people may have been infected more than once, but I think it's rare. And the emergence of a handful of people reinfected by the virus, some people in Hong Kong and Italy and supposedly some here in the United States, well, there's been a panic over the future course of the pandemic. And it's not difficult to see why. You know, one of the great hopes in tackling this virus is partial herd immunity that can slow the spread. And when you take the politics out of that, it's really logical. It's logical. The more people that are in a population that have had the virus and recovered from the virus and have the antibodies, they are going to become blockers of the virus. They're not going to spread it. It will hit a certain point and it will stop with that individual. And, you know, as, as cases rise, you can attribute some of that to testing. We're testing millions of people around the world. And if the virus had already penetrated our population, you are going to see more cases. So I put a lot more stock in hospitalizations than I do in cases. And that, to me, is a better number. Because, you know, if, if there are, if 80% of a population is positive and you test 80%, you're going to get a lot of positives. And a vaccine seen as the real game changer in the fight against coronavirus also relies on some form of long-lasting antibody reaction in inoculated individuals. So even the virus is going to contribute, well, to the potential of a vaccine being effective. In other words, the the vaccine itself relies on some people being inoculated and some people having antibodies. But what if immunity doesn't last, plunging humanity into this never-ending cycle of relapses? You know, this is the stuff of nightmares. And you, you know, come on, you're an intelligent individual. You know that politicians are going to use that to their advantage. Fear is an accelerant in the world of politics. The more people you can scare, the better your chance of being listened to, the better your headline serves as clickbait, fear is powerful. Now, fortunately, things are not so bad. For now, there seems to be very few cases of reinfections, and it might even mean that they're rare. And some doctors also believe that most relapses will be milder than the first infection. That happened in the Hong Kong infection, although not everywhere else. And the weakening of the virus's impact will depend on our body learning to fight it. For example, via the development of those suitable so-called T-cells. And you know, I have another podcast here about the fact that the, the virus may succumb to Muller's ratchet, where it starts to weaken so that it becomes more infectious. That's how the virus survives. If it killed everybody that it came in contact with, it would no longer have a host. So viruses naturally weaken over time. You can look up that episode. It's called Muller's Ratchet and see how that actually works and how they're discovering that in a lab at Arizona State University here in the United States. So the crucial question to gauge the risk of reinfection is how many individuals develop antibodies and how long do they last? It's a great question. 
Some experts worry that only those who suffer the worst COVID-19 cases produce an immune response that's both sizable enough and protracted enough to build up adequate antibodies. So if this is true, if this is true, which I don't necessarily agree, that the lucky ones who escape the worst symptoms, including most kids and young adults, will be more vulnerable to reinfection. Hmm. You're getting it here, folks. A study on the pandemic in Iceland published in the New England Journal of Medicine offers some evidence to dispel such fears. The researchers have looked at serum samples from over 30,000 individuals, and they used six different types of antibody testing, since different techniques often produce conflicting results. And here's what the paper found, that out of 1,797 tested people who'd recovered from COVID, 91.1% produced detectable levels of antibodies. Let me say that again. In this study, out of the 1,000, almost 800 people tested who'd recovered from COVID-19, 91.1% produced detectable levels of antibodies. And that also means that these levels hadn't declined four months after diagnosis. So that's some good news. The immune response was higher among older individuals who are at greater risk of developing a more dangerous form of the coronavirus and among those who presented the worst symptoms. So it appears the harder your body had to work to beat this virus, the more antibodies you have. And the, the broader immune response is potentially good news for the efficacy of any vaccine, which I believe is coming soon, and appears to conform, confirm that reinfections, at least shortly after the first illness, well, it's probably very, very rare. And while it's also theoretically good news for herd immunity, herd immunity's not bad, it doesn't mean we're anywhere near achieving that happy state. It's still a long ways to go. It is thought that about 70% of a population would need to have these antibodies to effectively stop the spread of the virus. So let's talk about colleges and universities. There's people that are pulling their hair out, running up and down the street, screaming about colleges opening back up. But you can look at it from a more scientific approach. Those young people in college, unless they have a rare, rare comorbidity or a, a, a problem that's going to make it worse, are least likely to have severe cases of the virus. And if they can, amongst their own population, experience the virus, have no symptoms or mild symptoms, and get over the virus and become, well, filled with antibodies, it helps that population become more healthy. And I know, I know, I'm going to get judged for the few that, 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 are, that are harmed by this. And, and again, I've got young people. I've got one that's just after college age. I've got one that's in high school. And, you know, I, of course I fear for them. But I think I would much rather them 
get a mild case and develop antibodies than not. So the study estimates that less than 1% of Iceland's population came in contact with the COVID-19 virus. This is even lower than other estimates in places like Spain, the UK, Italy, and shows how far many countries are from group immunity, from herd immunity. And it's also too early to say whether these antibody findings will hold over a longer period of time. It's possible that immunity will fade as time goes by, just like the flu. Maybe this becomes one of those pesky viruses that we have to take a vaccine for every year. And I know people hate, people loathe comparing COVID-19 to influenza. But you got to listen to the science, folks. Even Dr. Burks said that COVID-19 is tracked by the CDC as an influenza-like illness. It is still a virus. It is still a similar type of illness as influenza. And for now, there's, there's no reason to fear the worst. This is not about giving you fear. This is about giving you hope. The development of a vaccine is happening at a unbelievable pace, at a breakneck speed. And this information I'm sharing with you about herd immunity and population immunity is evidence to show that the, the human body is indeed developing some form of protection. So that's good news. So in a year of just terrible news about the virus, which I think is overstated and amplified for fear, this is a very welcome thing we're hearing from Iceland. So whether you agree or not, the human body as beautiful as it is, is capable of beating COVID-19. And we are capable of developing antibodies that will be accelerated with a vaccine. So you heard it here. Good news regarding COVID. This podcast is for crazy people. You can say I'm crazy enough to talk about difficult things. You can say this podcast is crazy enough to, well, have an opinion on things that may be controversial. We are crazy enough to win. Until next time.